Um, so you just you got back from uh, the Precision Rifle course? Yeah, yeah, I just did that the other day. It was uh, I had to had to do a parade at work. So as soon as I got done with that, I scooted on east of the mountains and did a actually did an archery clinic for a bunch of kiddos. Yeah, and then uh, and then the next day I did that Precision Rifle course. Oh, so it was like a, it was a one day thing. Yeah, cool. Yeah, it doesn't take. I mean, you can go into all kinds of stuff with it, but right. I'm basically, I'm just trying to get people in control of their shot. Sure. And, you know, it was pretty cool having, I had John Pinch there, who's a national champion in the PRS mm-hmm. Precision Rifle Series. Yeah, and I know who John is. You know, yeah, even those folks deal with shot anticipation. It's It's funny how they, you know, they manipulate their weapon systems so that they can stay, they can actually punch the trigger and it doesn't move them off of target much yeah right <laughs> so, like when you pick up a prs rifle and it weighs like 20 pounds uh <laughs> yeah it was his rifle i was amazed i had no idea how heavy those things were oh, but yeah. he's shooting a, a 10 ounce trigger Ooh, you know 20 pound rifle just... 10 ounce trigger allows you to uh to fumble a little bit yeah. and still hit the target so yeah for sure i used to shoot uh, a local circuit i never shot on the prs national circuit but a local circuit called missouri steel tactical which is it's mm-hmm. kind of like the the bush series of prs um but mm-hmm. a lot of the prs guys will come on their off weeks to shoot in in the most series and uh-huh. and just like beat the snot out of us but they're all like super helpful uh so that sure. so that was cool you get to shoot with guys it's like oh like this guy won a prs match last week uh and they'll just show show you all their gear let you use all their bags and like figure out what you what you really like so you don't have to go and spend four hundred dollars on bags to to figure figure out what you like for your setup so so i kind of knew some of that was coming so at this at my precision rifle school there's no bags no prone. Oh, I mean, you're basically standing mostly... unsupported. Oh, unsupported. The whole time. Wow. Yeah. Standing unsupported because what I try to get people to do is I try to get the aiming distraction in the mix, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's what I'm trying to get them out of. Right. They have to understand that visual proprioception is what controls their aim. And, you know, I have to get them to give that away mm-hmm. and then... I teach them how to actually make decisions and concentrate on nothing other than the trigger press. And it's amazing how accurate you can be when you, when you separate the shot in that way. And uh, so no bags. And then even we went in even a step further where we're shooting handguns. Right. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. you know, and there was, I guess there were some people on some forums wondering why you would ever use a handgun in a precision rifle course. But if you think about it, if you can master a long squishy trigger of a Glock, Mm -hmm. then when you're standing on one foot in the wind and shooting with your support hand only, right? You've got all these distractions of balance and shaking and all these things are happening. The true skill is being able to bring your mind back to where it needs to be, which is in the trigger press. Yeah. So that's, I mean, all these things we use as tools for this precision rifle course. And when you come out of there, a precision rifle is about the easiest thing you could ever grab onto. Yeah, yeah it's a cakewalk <laughs> yeah, after so. that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, uh, um, I, I think you you definitely touched on something uh, there for me because I know. I mean, I, I, I was a an average guy in the most series. And I wasn't anything special, mm-hmm. but like I started, you know, getting a couple uh, friends and family involved with it, and it wasn't like a real big deal for 
like the first time my wife and I went out and shot long distance together, like mm-hmm. I, I had her on steel at a thousand yards and like to sure. like 10 shots, like in right. shooting a, a good precision rifle at a long distance mm-hmm. inherently isn't too difficult. But right. when you uh, create those high stress situations and things, uh, things start to change <laughs> really quick. Right. Uh, yep, absolutely. So that, uh, that makes a lot of sense to kind of take away the, like the quote unquote easy part of it. And, uh, and, and make them focus on something hard. I've never, I've literally never thought like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to shoot this rifle like offhand with no support that, right. <laughs> but now I kind of, now, <laughs> so, now I kind of want to. <laughs> yeah. So I had pinch shooting one of my work guns mm-hmm. and, uh, which is like a three pound trigger. So, which is a lot more than his 10 yes, ounce trigger. Yes, it is. So, but he did well, he did well. So he, uh, he put his mind in it and, and did really good. That's awesome. So, That's awesome. Yeah. Cool. Gave him some new things to think about. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I can, I can only imagine you're making me think about it and I wasn't even there. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, we are hanging out with Joel Turner from shot IQ tonight. Uh, uh, really appreciative of, uh, Joel and, uh, and, uh, him taking some time to sit down with us and talk about, uh, shot IQ and, uh, and the controlled process shooting. Uh, I, I know that Joel is a man that wears many hats, uh, uh, so his, his time is very valuable. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm pumped that he got, he's going to spend about an hour or so with us tonight to chat about this. So, um, w- tell us, uh, a, a little about you, uh, uh, just your, your history and, and huntings and firearms. I know you're in law enforcement. Uh, so I'll, I'll let you just kind of tee off however you want to roll that puppy out. My life was built from failure, basically. I mean, I, I shot my first centerfire rifle at five years old mm-hmm. and it was, the first one was good. The second one started me on a path of yanking the trigger yep. like crazy yep. and not knowing how to get out of it. And that's, you know, we start kids on these rifles a lot of times and we put recoil to them very early in their life. And it, if you don't know how to get them, if you don't know how to get them out of that, then it's pretty difficult. So yep. Uh, you know, that's where I started and I, I was a trigger yanking machine through all of my teen years and I started shooting a bow when I was seven. So, I mean, I was fully engulfed in target panic by the age of eight and not knowing why I was locked off target and all those things. Right, so, right. you know, my, my whole early on existence, I mean, all I wanted to do was shoot. I, I wore out both of my brother's BB guns before I got mine. Nice. Uh, I, I shot every day till my, I mean, I shot, I remember shooting till my fingers bled because back then I didn't have a glove or a tab or anything. Ooh. I was shooting my, shooting my dad's 41 pound bear cub recurve. Ooh. And, you have any nerve uh, damage or are you good? No, I'm good. That's good. <laughs> I'm good. So it was a, just a daily thing, but it was such a frustration oh, I bet. to not, have control. I mean, I used to have to hold five feet or six feet over a target and then just dump my bow arm and let the string go at the same time. Hmm. Absolute nightmare. And I mean, (laughs) and my buddy growing up, uh, he's now my chiropractor, but, uh, one of my hunting partners, we, we had, we both had target panic so bad that I would go over to his house and we would shoot in the mornings before, before high school. Mm Mm-hmm. He had a log deck next to his target. We would both draw back and aim at the log deck. And then we'd both have to swing our bows over and let it go. 
to, to completely just, to completely stay off the target like just, and, yeah, and like right right get, before you want to just to get the full draw we had to aim at the log deck wow i mean it was horrendous so you know and then you know life goes on college and all that and i i started to uh i was a wildlife specialist for usda wildlife services where oh that's cool you know we did a lot of animal damage control mm-hmm. work and i was I was really good with an air rifle. Mm-hmm. I was really good with a small bore rifle, you know, a, a rimfire. Mm-hmm. But I was not worth a darn when I would get a coyote contract where I had to go out and and harvest a coyote, a problem coyote somewhere in the middle of a city somewhere with a with a suppressed centerfire rifle. Right. And you're not allowed to miss. Yeah. But I always yeah. had that thought. You know, I'd call that coyote in, and there he would be. This is my one chance to get this job done. And I would always have that thought of he's going to get away. And that is what consumed me in high stress events. Hmm. It's going to get away. I got to do good, whatever. And that was the wrong thought process. So I never really got over it uh, when I was working for the USDA. I did one time. I remember we were doing some work on a specific bird species and I was trying to get this one and I, I was yanking the trigger so bad that I was missing all these critters that I needed to get. Mm-hmm. So I went out and bought a different rifle, a smaller caliber. I went to a 22 250 mm-hmm. and I remember Whoa. lining up on this one bird and I forgot to take the safety off on my new 22 250. Just yank the crap, and out I of it. yanked the crap out yeah, of that trigger, yeah, and, then, and then I'm like, I'm like, come on, man, get a hold of yourself yeah. here. So it's a twenty-two, that, it's a twenty-two on steroids, <laughs> right? Yeah. So that's the first time yeah. I ever made a decision in a shot. I said to myself, I'm going to shoot this shot perfectly, or I am not going to shoot it at all. That was the first time I'd ever made that decision. Hmm. And by this time, I mean, I was, uh, what, 20 or 21? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 20, 21 or 22, anywhere, somewhere in there. And uh, so that was the first time I'd ever made that decision. I had missed numerous critters with my bow. I've harvested a few, but, you know, no elk at that point. I started when I was, I started elk hunting with a bow at 14, and I didn't kill a bull till I was 27. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's calling in multiple bulls yeah. every single year. So lots of failure. And then, uh, then I got into law enforcement where failure wasn't an option. Right. And that's yeah. what finally got me to a point of determination that I had to figure it out. And I gained control of my firearm shot and I started to think about how I did that. I started to think about how I was going to transfer this information to other people how was I going to transfer it, transfer it to my archery career? And that's where Shot IQ was born with that. Is I became a firearms instructor, and then I really started doing research on the science of the mind and what happens in high-stress shooting events, specifically shooting events, not just right. high-stress events. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I started to learn how to control other people's minds and control my own mind, and it's, uh, it's very powerful stuff. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I know I am uh, um, in my beginning stages of my turkey hunting uh, career. I was uh, uh, very much the same way. Um, I think I might, might have even mentioned this in one of our last episodes. My uh, from the time I was 
seven, eight. Uh, the first turkey shotgun that I had was mm-hmm. a 12 gauge. And and, yeah, he, yeah. and it was a, I mean, even though it was a two and three quarter inch uh, older uh, um, 12 gauge uh, with some more, uh, more forgiving loads than what you have today, uh, still a 12 gauge when a eight year old, seven year old is shooting, it's a lot. Oh, my and uh, um, yeah. it, it just and I was terrified of it. And the yeah. first, uh, uh, and you know, and uh, it, it never was a real big deal, uh, um, shooting targets. I still didn't enjoy it when I was little. Uh, um, mm-hmm. you know, we'd go out and shoot turkey targets or whatever before turkey season started. Uh, mm-hmm. but then the, the first two or three birds I shot at when I was little, maybe even more than that, uh, I completely whiffed on, uh, that, that were <laughs> like, you know, now we would consider, you know, layup shots, shots that are, you know, hundred right. percent, this bird is done. And, sure. uh, um, I, I don't think, uh, that was a, uh, I don't think it was an accuracy issue. It was a, it was a hundred percent a shot anticipation issue because I was sure I knew that recoil was coming and I was trying to brace for it. So, mm-hmm. and I think we were, uh, I was, I was kind of born into the same, uh, uh, the same. Well, I mean, most, that. most people, most people have the same, the same story that we do. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I see it all the time. I don't, you know my son is an exception because I went through so much failure. I was able to keep him out of yep, that. That's yep. why he's such a absolute shooting machine. So it's, it's pretty cool to watch uh, when you don't have all that craziness and frustration yeah. and stuff going on. It's really cool. Yeah. Um, uh, and that's something I, uh, uh, I'm probably like my, my wife and I'll probably go through your course together because I, uh, you know, since we've been married, um, we've kind of gotten into, uh, I've gotten her into shooting along with me. Uh, and, uh-huh. and I'm, I can't train worth a damn. So, uh, <laughs> there's those raw things where I'm like, this is what you need to do. But, uh, I know that she probably struggles with some of the same things that I struggled with when I was, when sure. I was younger and that, uh, I know shot anticipation, recoil anticipation is, is always a big thing there. Um, sure. so you, you, you were born from this failure. You found this method of taking shots that were going to be it, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how did, how did shot IQ like evolve once you, uh, like once you found, or like once this clicked, I guess you could say, did, did you, uh, uh how long did it take to put together? Because it's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty involved course, uh, um, from, from what I'm seeing, it's not, uh, right. uh, it's not, a you know, uh, you didn't, you didn't just lay everything out with, I'm only going to shoot this shot if it's perfect. And if it's not, I'm right. not going to shoot it. There's, there's a bit more to it than that. Sure. So, I mean, my light bulb moment was in 2000, I think in 2008, I was uh, a firearms instructor for Washington state and I, you know, we had always been trying to work on the trigger press, right? Constantly mm-hmm. getting people to press the trigger and, you know, constantly battling this shot anticipation. And I had this one recruit that was what we call a nervous Nelly. Mm-hmm. And he was just very high energy and uh, very twitchy in all of his movements. And he was shooting the 20 yard target and he was hitting the floor at 15 yards. Hmm. So he had such shot anticipation. You know, we're talking closed eyes, hunches, shoulders up, and just yank the crap out of that thing. And mm-hmm. literally skipping bullets off the floor at the 15-yard line. Mm. So I got up next to him, and I <clears throat> actually talked him through this shot. 
not knowing what I was doing as far as how I was capturing, how I was directing and trapping his concentration. And I was doing that through the use of words, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm talking him through this thing and, and he shot a perfectly executed surprise break shot. It went in the 10 ring and that's when the light bulb went off for me. I'm like, I had complete control of this kid because I'm watching his finger move exactly how I'm saying it. Mm -hmm. So I instantly took that little light bulb moment and I started to manipulate it. So I started to talk faster. I talked slower. I talked choppy. I talked smooth. I, and it would, it would, the finger would move exactly the way I said it. Hmm. But then when I tried to turn it over to him, he wasn't able to do it. Right. And so the, it was the evolution of shot IQ or control process shooting, uh, was trying to figure out how to get people to do it for themselves. And so I mean, it, the years went on. I became the lead firearms instructor for Washington State. So every police officer, deputy sheriff, game warden, law enforcement officer basically came through me for firearms training. And it gave me a medium of research that I was able to take all of these new people, differing levels of experience, and basically experiment on them mm -hmm. and figure out what works, what doesn't. And, you know, I this whole time I'm vetting everything that I'm teaching through very high level military operators that, um, you know, have been in lots of gunfights. Right. I was fortunate enough right. to know, know several of those folks. So I was able to ask them questions, go, Hey, does this actually happen? Yeah. Or is this, or am I thinking incorrectly here? And they said, no, this actually happens. This doesn't a uh, lot. And a lot of the stuff that I was putting out to these folks, they'd never heard before. Right which was interesting to me because these high level operators get to go to any shooting school they want. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean the money is really no object right. for those high level units. Yep, so yep, absolutely. It was very interesting to me when they said, you know, where did you learn that? And this and that, and it was just putting things together through my own experiences and then starting to figure out what classes did I need to take and to get the rest of the story. And I, it wasn't until I had this, gentleman tell me he said well I, I wrote an entire curriculum based on it was called metal mechanics of shooting mm -hmm. and i i wrote the entire curriculum out and it became the curriculum for washington state law enforcement it became the way to teach somebody how to you know work a trigger in a precision environment in a high stress precision environment right and this gentleman came to me and he said what you're doing works but it's not right and I said, okay, I want to know what's right mm -hmm. and what works. So this gentleman, he, um, he put on his own, he was a kinesthesiologist and he put on his own class in the advanced concepts of motor learning and performance. So I took his class and fortunately for me, I was able to connect the science of what he's talking about to what I'd already experienced. Right. And that's when I started to put things, these things together in a way that nobody has ever seen before. I mean, even this, this guy that knows all these scientific things about movements and how to control movements and all that, I told him about the decisions that it takes to do these movements. He goes, what are you talking about this decision? He goes, I don't know what you're talking about. I said, that's because you've never been in a high-stress shooting event. And he just thought that you could dry fire your way out of things. Mm. And 
you know, because there was some person from the, from an Asian culture that just did, you know, wasn't allowed to shoot actual ammo. So they just did nothing but dry fire for a year. And then they came over here and supposedly did really well in IPSC and IDPA and all that stuff. Right. That was, that was one case. And that person didn't get better in precision environments through dry fire. They got better in precision environments by making decisions. Hmm. And I always say that there's no natural born shooters. The human mind is not built to shoot. It doesn't want explosions going off in its face right. or with an arch with a bow. You know, it doesn't want this sudden release of energy. Right. So there's no natural born shooters. There are natural born decision makers. I would agree. There, there. are those. There are those personalities that are just, um, you know, in the whole personality trait tests and all that stuff. They're very high high D or high I or whatever, mm-hmm. um, and it's those people just, I have to do it this way. This is how it's going to be. They make a decision and they do it. Those that have trouble making decisions are the ones that really get stuck in target panic. And those are the ones that expect things to work for them. Yeah. They're constantly looking for something to work for them. But the, the reality of it is they're dealing with a science they're dealing with the science of the central nervous system and the mind and all these things that are fighting you in the shooting world. So, you know, that the evolution of shot IQ has evolved into what are the true skills of shot control? And, you know, instead of it's not your grip or your stance or your, you know, sight alignment, it is your determination. It's your decisions. It's your presence right? How present are you in the process? And then it's concentration. How do you actually do those things? And that's what, you know, I've, I've asked thousands of people this question, how do you concentrate? And nobody's ever been able to tell me the answer. I don't have an answer. (laughs) Well, and then I tell them the answer to it and they go, Oh, gee, that was easy. Right. And they've been doing it their entire life, but they don't, they don't realize the power of what they're doing. Right. And it's very interesting when you actually learn the science and are able to harness the power of concentration, true concentration in high stress events. And, uh, that's, what's really cool. And that, so that's where I am now, you know, that's the whole, I'm going to shoot a, this shot with control or not at all. That is a decision. That's a very difficult decision for the mind to make. Yeah. Yeah. Because so, when you, when you load that, when you load the energy of that bow or you, you start to, break that trigger you start to uh begin the crawl of that trigger on that mm-hmm. squishy three and a half to four pound glock trigger uh right. it can yeah i i i'm trying i'm 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 sitting here trying to think of a time where i was physically like halfway through my trigger pull and stopped and i don't i don't know of a time <laughs> uh and uh, maybe maybe that's really bad but uh it's not really bad it's normal yeah right yeah because it's not for you, you know, in the whole world of shooting, for you to be aimed on the spot, finger on the trigger, you know, strings on your fingers on the string, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. if you're on the spot and not shooting, that's never going to make sense to your subconscious. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. Right. So that's where it takes this conscious override to actually be aiming on the spot and letting your subconscious take that portion of it but then consciously overriding the rest of it. Cause if you let it, the subconscious will take it every single time. Yeah. Cause that's, what's efficient. Right. Yeah. I, uh, 
and I think you you hit on another good point with um, that there no no such thing as natural born shooters, but there is such thing as natural born decision makers. And uh, you know, I, I at least in my uh, anecdotal experiences, I I have found a lot of crossover in capability between mm-hmm. guys that are good shots in archery and guys that are good shots with firearms. And that's kind of an all encompassing pistol shotgun rifle thing. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll never forget when I was pretty little, my, uh, my parents had, a had some neighbors, or I guess I, I was there too. So we, we had some neighbors that, uh, um, uh, want the husband, uh, of the, of the family there would go shoot with, uh, shoot with my dad and, and I'd tag along sometimes and this guy could shoot anything. Uh, my, my dad had a, a decent little, uh, arsenal at that time. And he, you know, we, we'd bring out all these, all these guns and Sid would just shoot the crap out of all of them, but better than, better than my dad mm-hmm. could. My dad owned these guns <laughs> and Sid, mm-hmm. Sid never seen them. And then sure. he started shooting bows with my dad and like within, you know, a couple of weeks he was as good, if not better. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, well, I, maybe this guy is just a, a born decision maker. Maybe, and maybe he was just, you know, he has that type of a personality trait of like, this is, you know, this is the correct way of doing this. And, and this is the only way I will allow my, my body to function to perform this duty. Um, and, and I think, you know, my, I, I think my dad is, uh, my dad is an, ex- an, an exceptional, exceptional there we go yeah. uh marksman as well uh so mm-hmm. and and that that was across the whole gamut uh, uh bows firearms uh um basically every type of firearm he picked up he, he just shoot the shit out of it uh mm-hmm. so um yeah that's i i think yeah just it's it's all mental when I, you when you break it down to the true skills then you have things that can transfer between weapon systems mm-hmm, for sure if you, you know, if you're a, a good bow shot, but you're only a good bow shot if it's an aerial target, right? If you somebody throws something up, like throws an aspirin tablet mm-hmm. up there and you can smoke that sucker with your bow, you know, you will impress the hell out of crowds of people. Right. But then you try to take that skill to a 3D course and you're going to get smoked. Right. Because, you know, the people that are on the 3D course are making decisions, you didn't even have to get to full draw on that aspirin tablet. Right. Now, now, mind you, I'm not taking anything away from that. That's an amazing feat to be able to do that. <laughs> Better than me. But, you know, exhibition shooting, how, if you look at the exhibition shooting industry, it's mostly uh, shotgunning mm-hmm. or aerial targets or some type of moving target with a bow. Yeah. Right. So those that have very good visual proprioception, hand-eye coordination, if you will, they are exhibition shooters and they draw huge crowds of people. But then those people, you take them to a, like I said, a 3d course and all of a sudden what happened? Yeah. yeah. So it's very interesting. Uh, you know, the exhibition shooters that they have, you know, somebody cutting a playing card in half with a pistol and, and such, those folks are shooting in the precision world. Right. Right. Those are your decision makers, right? That person can take any weapon system and run it. Yep. So it's, uh, it's very interesting because I, I get a lot of, you know, I, I teach a lot of sniper schools and such, and I'll get these big old highfalutin Razu snipers out there and I'll hand them a pistol and I, Oh, I'm not very good with a pistol. 
Why aren't you? Right. I mean, I, what are you thinking about during your rifle shot? Oh man, I'm just thinking about, you know, working that trigger one ounce at a time. Do you do that with your pistol? No, I'm just trying to hit stuff with my pistol. Not the case, right? right? So they're not transferring how they do one of those things. Like if they're a phenomenal rifle shot, take that science, analyze how you do what you do. What are you thinking? What are you saying? Could you have stopped it? What decisions did you make? Take that blueprint for your rifle shot and stuff it into your pistol shot. Stuff it into your archery shot. It's amazing. I mean, I had uh, last year I was able to to hunt with one of these high-level military operators and and uh he was punching the crap out of the trigger on his on his bow Mm -hmm. and i said do you ever do any precision work in your you know in your unit he goes he goes yeah i'm one of the snipers i said you realize that if you ever punched your sniper rifle trigger like you punch a bow or an archery release (laughs) you'd never hit anything." anything he goes goes yeah i can't i just can't stop doing it (laughs) welcome (laughs) yeah it's 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 just getting people to realize how they do what they do and that's one thing that we haven't that we haven't harnessed in society because there are people that have figured this out right there i mean you know you can probably think of some some old timer right now and and maybe your buddy sid there right Mm -hmm. he's a phenomenal shooter and people, if they were to watch Sid shoot, they would, you know, if they watch him shoot a rifle, what kind of rifle is he shooting? What kind of stance is he using? What kind of ammo are you shooting, Sid? Hey, what kind of right? What kind of scope are you shooting? Right? Mm-hmm. They never. We in society have never asked these people the right questions. You know, if you were to walk up to Sid and say, "Hey, Sid, what are you thinking about during your shot?" Right. And and Sid might not even be able to answer it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But. If Sid was to think about it for a second and answer those four questions, what am I thinking? What am I saying? Could I have stopped it? Meaning the trigger press, could you have stopped it? And what decisions did I make? You will find out there is a pattern of success. I mean, every very successful sniper, rifle hunter, bow hunter that I've ever interviewed, they all say something to themselves during the shot. Hmm. after they believe the shot is imminent, they've raised their rifle or their bow. Maybe they've drawn their bow back. They all say something. Hmm. And that is the pattern of success that you don't see in new hunters. They're just trying to do good and they let autopilot take it. Right. When these good shooters say something, they're taking the process away from autopilot. They're bringing themselves to the present of the shot process. So it's very interesting because, like I said, we have not asked the right questions, but until now. Yeah. Have you ever, uh, I'm, I'm sure you have, uh, heard of the uh, the curse of expertise? Uh, explain it to me. So the curse of expertise is uh, basically a, a psychological concept where uh, the intervention of being an expert can be um, counterproductive for teaching new people to a sport. Uh, so, uh, sometimes, uh, you can, you know, you can walk up to somebody who is a world-class shooter and, mm-hmm. and, and say, you know, ask that question, like, how are you doing that? And then them actually relaying that expertise to somebody else because they're so good 
uh, mm-hmm. is is difficult for them. And and it's sure. it's probably like you said, it's probably us asking the wrong questions. I'm I'm sure that we could extrapolate that data if if we ask the right questions. Uh, you know, instead of saying how are you doing this, you know, what are you thinking about? when you, right. when you do it. So a uh, lot of, and you have to get specific because, mm-hmm. you know, I've listened to a lot of professional archers and they're, you know, I've sat in panels where they're just talking about release activation. How do, how do the pros do it? Right. Right. And none of them was not one of, there was eight pros on the panel and none of them were truthful not saying that they were liars. Right. I'm saying they don't know how they did what they did. Right. They don't know that, that specific day where they made a decision. Oh, I kind of like this hinge release. I'm going to shoot it this way. Cause I get these results no matter what. Right. And you even see it with, you know, a lot of pros, they switch between release aids to whichever one gives them the most shot control. Well, the only release aids I've ever seen are made out of metal and leather and all kinds of stuff. Right. None of which can give you anything. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So uh, a lot of those, you know, every, every pro on that panel shoots a hinge release. And they said they do that because a thumb button or an index finger makes them punchy. Well, that is the statement of a person that doesn't know how they're doing what they're doing. Right. They don't know what they're thinking. They don't know what they're saying. They don't know what decisions they're making. And so they rely on this outside force, this this hinge release that is a very easy to evaluate movement. That's why they go to it. The movement of a hinge is very easy to evaluate, uh, a little bit more difficult to anticipate. Right. So they become reliant on these on these mechanical means of fixing a mental problem. So it's really interesting to listen to people and when you when you ask them, hey, how do you do what you do? They'll talk about how many thousands of hours they've spent blank right. bailing or yeah. getting coaching or whatever it was, and then they they try to hinge release, but that's not where it was. Their turning point was when they made a decision to do it this way or not at all. Right. And until they really harness the power. I mean, think about it. Professional archers or professional shooters or whatever, they're only at the top for a very short period, only a few years. Yeah. Yeah. And then they start to become too efficient and they start punching that hinge just a little bit. Right. But that, mm-hmm. that, they lose five points. They're now out of the game. Yep. Now they come in 10th instead of first. Yep. So it's very interesting to see this phenomenon. I mean, there's this constant changing of the guard of who's got the most target panic, yep. or who's got control of their target panic the most, you know, Bodie, that's why Bodie's going to be so good in the professional circuit because he shoots a perfect arrow every time, no matter what, there's no, falling off the wagon it's not going to happen because he knows exactly how to do it perfectly every time so yeah yeah so you you uh, we talked about um the concept of fund fundamentals and mm-hmm. fund physicals the other right. night and the differences right. between the two of them um and it sounds it sounds like and and you'll probably need to explain it a little bit but it sounds like the uh the fund of physicals are really like they're almost all there all the time 
if you capitalize on the actual fundamentals and and what people are thinking as fundamentals is probably uh, a different uh, definition uh, for what you have. Uh, right. So if you if you ask any firearms instructor, what are the fundamentals of marksmanship? They're going to tell you seven things. They're going to tell you grip, stance, sight alignment, sight picture, trigger control, breathing, and follow through. Those are the funda physicals, right? If you right. want to make up a yep. word for it. Yep. Those are physical actions that are driven by mental skills. So mental is in the fundam the word fundamental, right? Right. Yeah. But so, like I I had never in my entire life thought about like, oh mental, like it's it's a mental thing in fundamental. I'd never I literally never thought about extrapolating <laughs> that part out of it. Well, I hadn't, I hadn't till the other day either. But <laughs> so I'm, th- I'm thinking about these things because I always try to think one level deeper. Like right. what are the true skills? Right. And, you know, if you, if you stay in the fund of physicals, if you stay in grip stance, side alignment, sight picture, trigger control, breathing and follow through, that will carry you to a point that will carry you in, especially in handgun shooting, that will get you accurate out to about 12 yards. Right. Now, the fundamentals of shooting, whether it be a bow, a pistol, a rifle, any precision marksmanship, the fundamentals, I've come up with four of them. Number one is determination, because it takes a massive amount of determination to override your central nervous system. I mean, if you just go up there kind of haphazardly, gee, I hope I do good today, that is not enough determination to override autopilot. That's not going to happen. You are going to be the victim of your own mind if you don't have enough determination. Right. So determination is the first fundamental. The second fundamental is decision-making because the determination leads to decisions, leads to that original decision. I'm going to shoot this shot with control or not at all. And if there's no determination in that decision, it doesn't mean anything. Right. Yeah. So you, so these two are very linked. Yeah. It can't be, then, can't be willy nilly on the determination portion of right, it. Right. Yeah. Right. So the first, the original decision is I'm going to shoot this shot with control or not at all. Then there's what I call the half draw moment in, in the archery world. It's the half up moment in the firearms world. And that's where, you know, you are now in the shot. You are drawing your bow back and you're making another decision. I say, I'm going to do this right. And that, that reinforces the original decision and it adds more determination and keeps me in the present, which is the third fundamental, right? So present is the third fundamental. Let's, Let's step back one to the decisions, right? So you've got the original decision. I'm going to shoot this shot with control or not at all giving yourself those options to actually not shoot the shot and setting your mind in the process. Decision number two, the half up moment or the half draw moment. I'm going to do this right. I don't care what you say, say something that brings you into the present of your shot process and reinforces that original decision. Third decision, most important decision is that critical second. The one second in time after you believe the aim is complete Just like you jumping off a cliff into water, you're never going to do that if you're thinking in the future. You have to be in the present. So there you are at the edge of the cliff. 
you have to talk yourself into actually jumping off the cliff. Right. Right. Most people say something like, here I go. So that in the critical one second, if you think about any shot that you've ever shot as an uncontrolled or rushed shot, you have fired it within one second of you believing the aim was complete. Usually it's more like a millisecond. The crosshair is on and you yank the trigger, right? The pin gets on, you yank the trigger. You get almost a full draw with your stick bow, you let it go, right? Those are all projectiles that are fired within the critical second. So that instead of, you know, when you see your perfect aim or as good as it's going to get, that's not the time to shoot. That's the time to decide. Right. That's the time to say when those crosshairs get on where you want, when that pin gets there, when you get that gap or whatever you're seeing in your instinctive aim, instead of shooting in that moment, green or red, right. You say, here I go. And that gets you over that little hump and brings you even more into the present of the shot process. Right. So you've got those three decisions. So we've got determination. We've got decisions. We've got presence, right? Mm -hmm. Now we are present in the shot process and those decisions are what brought us to that presence, right? Mm -hmm. So there I am. I'm extremely present in the shot process. Now the only thing left to do, my only job, the second job of the shot is to put my concentration into the movement that makes my gun go off, my pistol go off, my bow go off, whatever it may be, your shot activation movement. So the final fundamental of precision marksmanship is concentration. We have to know how to do that because now we've primed the pump, right? We've got determination. We've made the right decisions. We are in the present. Now, how do we concentrate? How do we, how do we direct and trap concentration into our shot activation movement? The how of concentration lies in speech. You talk yourself through that very slow, controlled movement. And your mind can be in nothing other than the movement, right? So I have people say, like, let's say they're uh, pulling through a clicker on a stick bow, right? Right, right. Which is actually a rotation. It's an expansion-type movement. Um, If you can think of a word that means expansion, that's fine. If you want to use the word go, or I have people say keep pulling right keep pulling keep pulling keep pulling it's very rhythmic it directs concentration into specific muscle groups and the rate of speech gives it that rate of movement right so now you've got when you master the fundamentals of precision marksmanship you have determination you know what decisions to make when to make them and scientifically how to carry them out You know how to make yourself in the present of the shot process, and you know how to concentrate. These are extremely powerful life skills that when put into an an archery shot, a pistol shot, a rifle shot, it is amazing what you can do as far as the accuracy that you can have with any weapon system. I can pick up anybody's pistol, understand the trigger system in it, and outshoot them with it. Right. In precision environments and i'm not trying to brag i'm just i just know that i'm not gonna i'm not gonna punch that trigger even the slightest bit i can pick up any release aid i can shoot any rifle and that wasn't the case 15 years ago 10 years ago right 
right? It was not the case, but now that I practice the fundamentals of precision marksmanship, the world is mine. And that's what I teach at Shot IQ. I give you the world of shot control. And it is amazing stuff. I wish, oh, man, I wish that the listeners could like see, see my demeanor right now because <laughs> I'm watching you, it, bro. <laughs> you, you said something, uh, when you were talking about the, uh, on the concentration, uh, uh-huh. portion, uh, about the, the rate at which you talk speed. yourself through. Yeah. The speed, right. the speed of what you talk yourself mm-hmm. through. And, uh, I've been trying to work on, um, making sure I expand and, and, and creating mm-hmm. get back tension, uh, shooting a recurve. And I'm like, I'm seeing a click where when I was saying, I normally like in my mind say, expand, 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 expand. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I'm seeing a direct correlation from when I was saying it at the speed of expand, 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 and expand, expand, expand. And like it being more rhythmic. Right. And when you think about when you think about expand, it's got too many syllables. Right. Right. Ing, you know, the ing smooths a mantra out. Right. So if you have a phrase that has ing at the Mm -hmm. end, right. And keep is a continuation word that we use all the time. Right. If we want something to continue, we put the word keep in front of the motor program that we want. Right. Like Mm -hmm. think about when you try to impart concentration on a football player that you're watching on TV, right? You are yelling at that person to keep running. Right. Right. So it's, it's, it's funny to watch now that you know this stuff, you'll see it everywhere when people are trying to impart concentration. If they want that person that they're talking to, to really focus in on something, they will, they will say something more than once and in a rhythm they they will speak in the rhythm at which they want you to move right like think right. of you talking somebody through something very minute right you're like okay oh yeah that's good right keep yeah. Going, keep yeah. going right yeah. so same thing in your archery shot if you're expanding through a clicker keep pulling keep pulling keep pulling there's no end to it you right see? right it's it's a and the reason that the, that you don't want it to end is because you're actually in a closed loop control system. In that closed loop control system, the executive, the brain, is sending a motor program to the effector, and then it's going back through the comparator. The comparator is what says too fast or too slow, Matt. Right. And then it sends that signal to the brain. The brain then modifies the signal to the effector and it just it's this constant loop right it's a closed loop so right. your words are the verbal representation of your closed loop control system so when you ask yourself in the blueprint you know question number one what was i thinking about during that shot like you just shot the best shot of your life You're yeah like, okay oh my god i have to blueprint I need this. to do that again yeah. right so what, what was I thinking about? And the answer to that should be, I was thinking about nothing other than the shot activation movement. Question number two, what was I saying? You got to know not only what words you were saying, but at what rate you were saying them. Right? Yeah. Question number three, could I have stopped it? Was I so keenly concentrated 
on the shot activation movement that I could have stopped it anywhere within the movement. Question number four is the most important. What decisions did I make to get myself in the process for this one shot? Did I step up to the stake and go, geez, I hope this goes good? Or did I step up to the stake and go, I'm going to shoot this shot with control or not at all? Hear the determination difference there, right? Yep. yep. As I'm drawing my bow back, did I say, I'm going to do this right? And then finally, once my aim was complete, did I say, here I go before I started my concentration? Right. So yeah. it's a very specific roadmap to control and it's tangible. You can you can do this. I've never had anybody not gain control of their shot, be it with a pistol, a rifle, or a bow. But they gotta make decisions and they gotta well up some determination, right? And right. it was easy for me to find the determination because of my other job in law enforcement, right? Yeah, Being yeah. a patrol sergeant and a you know, a tactical marksman and such, there's enough determination there to go around. Right. So, right. Yeah. I mean, I, you, you don't have failures, not an option in yeah. certain situations. Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, it was easy for me to find that determination, but other folks that maybe aren't in stressful situations very often mm -hmm. that, that determination is sometimes a little waning and they need to find it. They got to sometimes dig down and, and, a lot of times people in target panic are extremely frustrated Yeah, and it starts to get into other facets of their life. And I, I always say, you know, shot control equals life control because if you can get yourself to, if you can be determined enough to override your central nervous system, every single shot, that is a very difficult decision for the human mind to make. But when you get good and you practice making decisions, it kind of transcends a lot of different realms of your life, right? Mm -hmm. Because now you don't have that frustration because, you know, especially in archery, it's something that you love. I mean, it is, archery is my life, right? Right. right. And I don't want to be in that frustrated state. Right. I want to go out. I mean, I love shooting my bow. I shoot my bow every day, every chance I get. And uh, it's just, you know, to have that frustration in such an important part of your life, it's, it's like a cancer, man. So, yeah. you know, and it, it, we've cracked the code. You don't have to be frustrated anymore. We have cracked the code and it's not my opinion. It's a scientific code. Yeah. So that's, what's cool about shot IQ is it's, it's not based on Joel Turner's opinion on how you should be doing things. Yeah. It's based on the body's opinion on how you right. should be doing things. Right. Um, right. so, uh, you touched on target panic. So I, I have a funny story for you. Uh, about about a month ago, I had a discussion with some people that may or may not be uh, hosts of this podcast. And I said, I said, guys, I don't have target panic. I don't I don't suffer from target panic. I never have. And I I said, I, I feel lucky. I realize that there's a lot of guys that suffer from it, but I've never had it. Mm -hmm. And then we talked about it. And I said, shit, I have target panic. Uh, <laughs> and, and, uh, and I, I, I just, I was completely ignorant and didn't realize it came in like very different forms for people. Sure. Um, so, uh, what, uh, in, in your, uh, in your experience, what, like, can you, can you even define target panic? Like, is there a way to define it or is there just like some more like common, like common occurrences than, than others? So the, the core problem that, that is the cause of target panic 
is again the core problem in shooting. Your mind will not allow you to cause your body impact as a surprise. Right. That's where it all starts. Yep. Right. You, if it can time the explosion, it will time the explosion. Mm-hmm. That's it's not something that you get. It's not a disease. You are born yeah, you're, with shot anticipation. Yeah, your body doesn't like explosions yeah. right next to its face. Yeah, exactly. Right. So you are born with that, and so it takes different forms, but not very many different forms. Like in archery, you've got uh, like if you're shooting a compound with pins. You, if your pin is locked off the target and then all of a sudden you drop your pin in or jump your pin up and punch the trigger, that is, that's just your mind timing the explosion, right? As when you see it, as long as your pin is not on the spot, man, you are calm as a cucumber, but any movement toward the spot and you're going to punch the trigger because it becomes a link motor program. Mm-hmm. So that's very common. Just simply punching the trigger. If you're an open loop control system, meaning your movement on the trigger is so fast that you can't gain feedback in it. You can't stop it. That is target panic. That's another form of shot anticipation, right? Mm-hmm. And then in the stick bow world, we see it as locked off target or not even getting to full draw. Mm-hmm. Like I had this, <clears throat> I was at CTAS the other day, which the Colorado Traditional Archery Society, their big shoot up in Colorado there. And we were out shooting on the course and I had my buddy from Australia, Ben Mayer here, and we were, he was working through target panic. I mean, I, I put a clicker on his bow and we were working through it and finally got him to the point where he wasn't letting arrows go without it clicking, right? You know, mm-hmm. he wasn't getting through the clicker on all of his shots, but he didn't shoot the ones that he you know, didn't get through. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's a big leap for somebody to do, but that's just the, that's just the baby steps of it. So we're all out in the snow and stuff. It's all good. And here comes this like six foot six young fella. He's probably 25, 26 years old. He's got this little girl with him and, and he says, Hey fellas, can I shoot through? I'm like, Oh, absolutely. So he steps up to the stake. There's no pause. So I know there's no decisions being made, right? Mm-hmm. He's just going to step up there, shoot his arrow, and move on. But little does he know that he's making himself exponentially worse every time he does that mm-hmm. because he's just getting more and more and more efficient. So there he steps up to the stake. I don't see the pause. He kind of dips down a little bit. He raises his bow up. He draws that bow. Now, this guy's got at least a 30-inch draw length. Yeah, six foot six. six I expect so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's super tall dude. He drew that bow maybe 21 inches, 22 inches, Whoa. And, and let it go. And just was happier than the clam. Just walked up, grabbed his arrow that he shot low with, and just moved on. You know? Mm-hmm. And he's never going to get any better until, he's, until he decides to. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, his body loves his shot right now mm-hmm. because it knows exactly when it's coming. It has reduced the recoil of it by not pulling it as far right? Your subconscious never wants you to shoot anything. If it can reduce the impact to the body, it will. Yep. Right. And it wants to time the explosion, but it puts in all this little sneaky crap all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. So like only getting to 21 inches of draw length, uh, not letting you get to full draw. I mean, if you're, you know, getting your wrist to your face, if getting your finger to your face equals an explosion, it won't ever let you get there. Right. That's where people snap shoot. Right. 
And, you know, in, in uh, pistol shooting, we see it as just basically punching the trigger. Yeah. We do see it uh, sometimes as people creeping up on the target. So you'll see them, they'll press the trigger, they'll hold the trigger to the rear. Then they'll then, get on target. And then they'll get back on target. Yeah. Then they'll reset the trigger. And then as soon as that trigger clicks, just like the clicker on a bow, mechanoreceptive mm-hmm. trigger, right? Mm-hmm. Click bang, the gun goes off. So they become what we call click bangers and it transcends through their entire shooting. They start holding that trigger back calm as a cucumber, as long as their guns turned off. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the subconscious puts all kinds of things in there. Yeah, I am. uh, I am certainly that way with pistols. Mm -hmm. Uh, All I hold back on, uh, uh, you know, if once if if I'm shooting at a single target multiple times, mm-hmm. uh, at least now that I'm I'm now that I'm trying to think about it, right. uh, um, I'll hold I'll hold back on the trigger until until I'm just about uh, until I'm back on target. Mm-hmm. Hit my reset, feel the click, and mm-hmm. then and then go again. You should never if you're shooting a Glock, yeah, or any of those, yep. you know, like a Sig or anything like that. You should never hear or feel the click of the reset. It should be done in recoil. So as you press the trigger, talking yourself through it, keep pressing, keep pressing, keep pressing, keep pressing, pow, the gun goes off. Right. When the gun goes off, if you relax your finger, the trigger return spring moves the trigger forward for you, and then you simply come back through the slack. So it's that's the fastest reset there is. Right. You know, people say, well, if you go past the click, you're going to, you know, you, you have all that, that slack, all that travel space again. Yeah. Yeah. That slack's already taken up in recoil. Right. By the time the gun comes back from recoil, you've already gone forward and backward and you're back at the slack point of the trigger. So, uh, you know, I always have people tell me that and I'm like, well, your mind loves mechanoreceptors, bro. So yeah. Yeah. in, In, uh, in firearms, they're very detrimental, but in archery, they're, they're a godsend. Yeah. So. Well, let's let's talk about the uh, mechanoreceptive tri- mechanoreceptive triggers for a minute. Sure. Uh, so we've got. Uh, is there basically two types? There's clickers and seers. Uh, uh, there's, uh, there's various seers, but yeah, there's all kinds of different stuff out there. But it's you know like the science behind it is mechanoreceptors are sensory receptors in your skin cells. Right. They take a stimulus, they send a signal to the brain, the brain selects the right motor program and then sends that back to the effector, right? Whatever is going to receive that motor program. Right. So if you and I were sitting here BSing and I put my hand down on a hot stove, not knowing it's a hot stove, the mechanoreceptors in the skin cells of my hand send the signal to my brain, hey, stupid, that's hot. My brain then sends the motor program that gets my hand off the stove. Right. Okay, so these mechanoreceptors are primed for stimulus. Mm-hmm. They're primed to send the signal. So like in a clicker system, so the archer, job number one, draw back and aim, get it done, watch to keep it. Once their aim is complete, here I go, right? The critical second, here I go. And then they start talking themselves through the movement. Keep pulling, keep pulling, keep pulling. They're evaluating it. They can feel the movement. And then all of a sudden that click happens. The click is picked up as a sound wave by the mechanoreceptors in the hair cells of your ear, mm-hmm. right? As a sound, right? 
They send the signal to your brain. Your brain then sends the release motor program. Now, all this happens in a, a millisecond, right? Right. But the beautiful thing is, is that your subconscious can't get in the middle of that. It can't get in the middle of that process. Right. So it doesn't know when your bow is going to go off. Therefore, it doesn't know when to put pre-ignition movements into the system. Therefore, you get a zero input surprise break shot, a true surprise break shot. Right. Right. And with a pistol or a rifle, same thing. Mount the gun and aim, get it done, watch to keep it, slacks out of the trigger, keep pressing, keep pressing, keep pressing, keep pressing, keep pressing, bingo, until it goes off. So you're not using mechanoreceptors in a firearm. Right. All concentration, just like in a bow, is in the movement that makes your system go off, makes your weapon system go off. But people try to use mechanoreceptors in firearms because your mind wants a timing mechanism, right? Mm -hmm. It wants that slap in the face so that it knows when to brace the body. So therefore, when you go out on a trigger, when you're trying to reset it, you, you are waiting, you are feeling for the click. So you relax your finger until you hear the click. And once that click happens, it sends the signal to your brain. Your brain then mashes the trigger. And in that trigger mash, in that punch of the trigger, it also links all the dipping and contractions of the hand and closing of the eyes. It links all those things together. And that was all tripped by the mechanoreceptors. Hmm. So in firearms, detrimental. In archery, fantastic. So you've got, in archery, you've got clickers. You've got sear systems, which are nothing more than two hard surfaces that are pulled apart until there's no more purchase. Right. So like mm-hmm. a grip, a grip sear is a simple, you know, it doesn't have to be a device. It can just be the edge of your riser. Right. Like what I do is I hook my ring fingernail on the edge of my riser, draw back and aim, get it done. Watch it to keep it. Job number one is done. Here I go. That separates the two jobs, making a decision. And then my mantra, keep pressing, keep pressing, keep pressing. I'm pressing, I'm increasing the pressure on my, on my ring finger that's against my my riser, my ring fingernail, and then that pops off all of a sudden. When it pops off, the mechanoreceptors and the skin cells of my finger send the signal to my brain. My brain then sends the release motor program. Same thing with a tab sear. A tab sear is nothing more than an edge on a tab that I use my thumbnail on. Same shot sequence. When I get to that portion, I'm just pressing my thumb, my thumbnail on the edge of this tab toward my palm keep pressing keep pressing keep pressing pop when that pops out of there same thing mechanoreceptors send the right signal brain sends the release motor program and the subconscious can't get in the middle of it so Hmm. there are some people out there that can shoot with no mechanoreceptive trigger they can shoot very good shots but those people are are of a specific personality Right. They're very process oriented folks. They're very calm people, right? They're very good decision makers. And those people, um, they're only as good as their pre-ignition movements can make them. Right. Yeah. But fortunately for them, their pre pre-ignition movements are minimal. Doesn't carry you outside of the nine ring or ten ring on a Vegas target, right? Right, right. Whereas my pre ignition movements would carry me completely off the target, but <laughs> yeah, 
right? So I like shooting mechanoreceptive triggers. I can shoot without them. I don't choose to. I like to shoot with mechanoreceptive triggers. Right. And uh, I like the control. I've been in that realm of, of target panic. I'm not going back to that dark place, right? Right. <laughs> so so um, I... Uh, I haven't messed around with the clicker yet. It's on, Mm -hmm. it's on my list. One thing that worries me a little bit, and this may be completely ignorant of me is, uh, as I shoot super limbs, uh, -hmm. or or super curve limbs. Um, so, and and I know guys have set up clickers on those before. I'm, I'm positive that they have, Uh, but, um, I'm, I guess I'm just kind of worried about the, uh, uh, the consistency of a clicker on like a, on a kind of a unique style of limb. So point, point being, I guess is I'm, I have thought about doing, I, I think this is considered a mechanoreceptive trigger of doing the uh, feather to the nose. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, yeah. it, would that be considered one? I think, I it think, is uh, okay. Yeah. So is there, um, is there a difference in how your brain processes physical touch versus sound? And do you, do you see an advantage between either one of them? The, the feather to nose technique is, I would say, not as robust as a clicker. The clicker is like a slap in the face. When that thing goes off, it's like, it's time to go, right? right. And the counter receptors, the, the ones in your ear are very, very sensitive. Okay, right? okay. They're very good at sending signals. Mm-hmm. The, the skin cells, the mechanoreceptors receptors in the skin cells of your nose are not near as sensitive. Yeah, I guess you touch your nose all the time, so right. it's so. Yeah. I mean, you it does it does work very well. So you'll have to do it. I usually have people cut a small piece of vein and put it in between the feathers and actually okay. touch that on their nose. It's much more robust to actually have that than a a very uh, subtle touch of a feather on hmm. your nose. Gotcha. There's all kinds of different ways to do these things, though. So, and there's another thing out there called a side clicker. You ever seen one of those? I haven't. No. So, a side clicker is a device that uh, runs on a bracket. You can actually screw it through. Like, if you have two plunger holes in an ILF riser, Uh uh uh, you can put it through the forward hole. And depending on what your arrow length is, you can draw your arrow back. And it's got this thing's got a magnet that's on a very light spring. Shut up. Yeah, and when you draw your bow back, when it gets to the metal, to the steel of your field point, that magnet pops out and clicks against the side of your arrow. It's pretty slick. And it also comes with a bracket system that you can huh. actually, that you can build out as well. I see one on, I just saw one on eBay. Whoa, this thing is wild. Okay. Yeah. Is it in a green, green package? Um, I don't think, no. Does it look like a a plunger button? Um, no, it looks, it's, it's like a, like it's almost on the, it's on the, like the site part. Yeah. That's not, that's an Olympic style. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. Gotcha. 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 Yeah. So you'd have to look up. Oh yeah. Here it is. Yeah. Here. Green green packaging here. Okay. Yeah. Looks like a plunger button. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, it's pretty slick. Huh. It comes out and taps against the side of your arrow. And then as soon as you let go, the magnet ob- obviously disengages from that metal. Right. And gets right. that completely out of the way. Huh. Would that work for guys like me that normally shoot full length, uh, if full length arrows that don't have 33 inch draws? 
Yeah, but you'd have to, you know, there's a bracket system that actually sticks oh, to, out. Oh, to, to stick bow. it out. Gotcha, yeah, gotcha. yeah, you can okay. you can bolt it to the side of your bow. That, you know, that's limited in range. But right. there's other things you could do, like putting uh, a piece of a piece of wire on your arrow. You could put uh, some magnetic tape on there. Hmm. Okay. All kinds of different stuff. Yeah. Uh, so is there is there a benefit? Or is it detrimental to try and use uh, two triggers? There's no real reason to use two triggers because okay. one right. of them will just become a setup for the other. Okay. And you don't really need that. I mean, you can. You can do it. Like some people will double click their clicker, right? They'll draw back. Yep. They'll, they'll run through the clicker and reset it at full draw and then it, run through it, which is that an issue that was, that was going to be my next it's question. It's not necessarily an issue. I don't see it as necessary though. Okay. Okay. And you can do it. Like if you're doing feather to nose, you could draw back, settle in, pop the feather to your nose and then go forward slightly. Right. But the yeah, problem with going forward is regaining. That is kind of a nightmare. Yeah. The one, the one guy at my local club that shoots, uh, that I've seen shoot a clicker, he double clicked every time and he was, mm-hmm. he was, he was accurate as, as shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, uh, good shot. Actually, I'm pretty sure he went to one of your clinics, uh, oh. uh, one of the immersion clinics. Uh, okay. um, but, uh, he double clicked every time and I was like, man, oh. is that like, is that an issue? He was like, really? As long as you like reset and get back in your anchor every time, like it doesn't, it, I don't think it's a real big deal. So yeah, it's, it's not a huge deal, but, um, I like, I like sear systems better than any of the mechanoreceptive triggers just because I don't have to have the back tension input into the shot. Right. I mean, uh-huh. I can, I can lock my back tension instead of having to actually dynamically move. And, uh, I don't know. I would say I'm pretty accurate with it. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, one thing you've mentioned a couple of times, uh, uh, throughout the episode so far is closed loop versus open loop. Okay. What uh, can you give like a real brief rundown on the differences between those two? The only reason I'm asking is because one of our co-hosts, Blaine, shot uh, uh, I think he shot skunk this morning. Yeah, and, right. And uh, he said he open looped it. Yeah, he said he open looped it, and I was like, I don't know what that means. So, yeah. uh, so open loop control. There's two control systems that govern all of your movements. Number one, the one that your body wants to use is an open loop control system. In an open loop control system, the executive, which is your brain, sends a motor program to the effector and it craps out the output, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's a movement that's too fast for you to stop or modify in the middle. Like think about throwing a football. Right. right? That's that's governed by an open loop control system. That is its own motor program, but you can't, you don't want to stop your throw halfway through and and evaluate it because you're going to screw up the totality of the movement, right? Right, right. So any moving targets require an open loop control system. It's like shooting a shotgun, right? Yeah. So when old, when old Pepe Le Pew there was running across the deal and and (laughs) Blaine whacked it, he had to, he had to shoot that as an open loop control system. That's where your mind wants to go because that's controlled by the subconscious. Okay. Yeah. And people say, you know, I shoot subconsciously or whatever. They're stuck in an open loop control system. It's a very fragile system for precision shooting. Right. So that's like the professional archer that is moving their release too fast. They don't stay on the podium very long. Right. Yeah. So, on the flip side, a closed loop control system. Think about the first time you ever learned a movement. 
you had to walk yourself through each individual step. Yeah. And you had to, those steps were made of words, right? Yeah. Words are attentional cues. That's all a word is. When you say a word, your mind goes to the definition of that word. So closed loop control system has three components. The executive, well, first it takes a decision, right? You have to decide to go closed loop. You have to decide to slow down, okay? So mm-hmm. you make a decision, like the original decision, I'm going to shoot this shot with control or not at all. The executive, the brain, sends that slower motor program to the effector, and now you're moving at a rate. Think about pulling through a clicker. Now you're moving at a rate that's slow enough you can gain feedback within the movement and you can stop it anywhere you want within the movement, right? So the Mm -hmm. third component, you've got executive, sends a motor program to the effector. Now the movement is slow enough, it gets sent through what's called the comparator. The comparator, again, is what sends that too fast or too slow signal. It's the modification. It's the feedback station, right? Right. So it takes that feedback that it gets and it sends that to the executive and either modifies or keeps that speed the same, right? So a closed loop control system, think about the first time you ever learned anything, it's slow. Right. It's able, you're able to stop it. Methodical, it, yeah. Right? So like if he's trying to shoot Pepe Le Pew as he's running across the yard there, and he's pulling through a clicker when he does that, you don't know when your bow's going to go off. Right. On a moving target, you have to know when your weapon system's going to go off. Right, 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 yep. But you have to also understand that no matter what, if you go open loop, you will have pre-ignition movements linked to your release motor program. That's not my opinion. That's yeah. just what's going to happen. what's going to happen, right? yeah, yeah. So, and, but your mind loves you for it because it was able to brace you for impact. So it doesn't like to go closed loop. It's not efficient to go closed loop at all. Right. It makes no sense for your mind to be, you know, you've got the three stages of learning, cognitive stage, practice stage, automatic stage. If you're in the automatic stage of a movement, it doesn't make any sense to go back to the cognitive and do it slowly and having to talk yourself through it. That's where the decision comes in, right? Mm -hmm. You are deciding to go back to the cognitive stage of learning. That's why it's so unnatural for you to shoot a controlled shot. Huh? Yeah. 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 I mean, <laughs> it goes, I mean, man, I almost feel like that's a, I almost feel like that's a primal thing too. Well, like, sure. Like, I, I mean, mean, that's, that's how we learn. Right. right and it, right. Like, let's say that you are in control of your shot and you're going closed loop. And then all of a sudden you let it slip one time right? And you didn't quite get through your clicker, but you let it go anyways. And man, it went right in the 10 ring, right? And you're like, oh, I don't know if we actually need to listen to this Turner guy, right? That's what the subconscious (laughs) is saying because it loved that shot, right? Because it was able to be more efficient. So the next time you shoot, if you don't know how to override it, it's going to start into the learning process, right? And then you'll quickly get right back to automatic stages. That's where you know, people that go and do blank bail all the time that when they go do blank bail because they're having a target panic issue, they're doing that to return to the cognitive stage. I mean, think about what they're doing on blank bail. They're working on a specific aspect of their shot, maybe their grip, maybe their back tension, maybe whatever it may be. Right. But they're thinking about a specific thing. And then 
they try to transfer that information or that practice that they did to actual aimed shooting. Now that sight sees something that it can time the bracing with, like your sight being on the target, and it blows those months of blank bale apart in just a few yeah. days usually. Yeah. yeah. And then people go back to the blank bale. Well, how about we learn how to make how to do the true skills, right? So you don't have to go to blank bale. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Yeah, it's like drinking out of a fire hose, bro. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, to, to see, I'm a, I'm a guy that doesn't, I don't want to say I'm a, I don't want to say I'm a guy that doesn't like to change his ways, but I am. Uh, <laughs> um, but to see, um, I'm actually, I'm kind of like proud of myself for like being, <laughs> for, for being uh, receptive to this because uh, yeah. a, a month ago, and not that I was ever, uh, I guess, not receptive to, uh, um, to what you were teaching. I guess I just hadn't, I hadn't had a conversation with you to like try to fully yeah. understand it. And yeah. a month ago, you know, like I said, I was like, I don't have target panic. Why do I, like, why would I need to go through the shot IQ course? And, yeah. and now I'm, now I'm just like, throwing my wallet at the at the monitor <laughs> like just take my money uh so uh yeah okay that man this so now i mean that's this my changes life. that's my life work bro yeah well man this it changes things like it really like it's life changing literally yeah and uh apparently on my phone uh i went to a shoot this past weekend with uh um with some buddies up here at, at this, this local club went down to Southern Missouri for a shoot. And apparently my, or no, it's not my phone. It must be on my wife's phone. Duh. Uh, she took some videos of us shooting uh, uh-huh. or of, of me shooting specifically. And now I like, mm-hmm. I really want to go watch those videos and see, <laughs> see like, what do I remember about this shot or, right. uh, uh, you know, do, do I look like I was talking myself through it or not? Spoiler, probably not. Right. So, look, uh, but look at, you know, when you, if you have the footage, look at when you step up to the stake. Yeah. Is there a pause? Cause when, when people, you know, as a, as a cop, I get lied to constantly. Oh yeah. Right? Yeah. So, but when people lie to me, they have a tell. There's something that happens psychologically, yeah. you know, they'll brush their face. They'll say, well, honestly, sir, or whatever. Right. So <laughs> right before they're going to lie to me. Right. So when you step up on the stake, it's very telling as to how that shot is going to go because those people that make decisions, when they do make a decision, they have a tell, right? You will see the eyes squint. You will see an exhale. You will see a pause You'll see all these things happen and you're like, okay, that person just made a decision. So this should be good, right? Mm -hmm. So you can start to analyze what's happening. So when you watch yourself on these videos, watch that part specifically and then try to find in your shot a movement that's slow enough you could stop it. Or are you just going open loop through the whole thing and it's it's one giant linked motor program? Right. So those are the things to look for. Yeah. Well, it's probably the latter. I can tell you that. So <laughs> yeah. I'm, uh, I'm God, I, like I'm excited to just like go in my basement after this and like, just try yeah. and talk myself through it. Yeah. Now, oh. if you, you know, for those people that don't want to shoot with a mechanoreceptive trigger, there is, and you know, more power to you. 
But the reality is, is that if you allow your subconscious to tell itself when to release, it's going to link pre-ignition movements to your release motor program. Again, that's right. not my opinion. So if you are a person of a certain personality where your pre-ignition movements are minimal, then man, get after it, right? Shoot with no mechanoreceptive trigger, but make sure you do this one thing. Make sure that you separate the shot into two completely different jobs, right? Yeah. That one little thing of here I go in the critical second will have a profound effect on your shot, even if you don't shoot with a mechanoreceptive trigger. Job number one, draw back and aim. Get it done. Watch it to keep it. Here I go. Job number two, put the concentration into the movement that makes your bow go off. Be that a little bit more expansion. Maybe you tap your foot on the floor. I don't know what you do, right? Right. But just separate the shot. It's those people, because when you talk to these guys that are really good shots with no mechanoreceptive trigger, they all at least separate the shot. Sure. So that's another pattern of success. So if that's the route that you want to go, again, more power to you. Just know that you're going to have some pre-ignition movements in there. They might be minuscule and not mean anything. That's cool. They might be huge. But don't you dare shoot an arrow where you're locked off the target. There's right. no no sense in doing that. Yep. If you know, if you're in that if you're in that gig and you want to get out of it, then then uh, we've cracked the code to that. So Whew. Yeah. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. Like you said, drinking from a fire hose, but it's like <laughs> like I'm so excited to drink from the fire hose. Um, <laughs> yeah. so okay. So how can I, I you've got an you've got your online course through right. through your website. Yep. It's um, shotiq.com. It's also available on the push, uh, the push yep. archery pack. It's on there as well. Yep. If, if for our listeners, if you, if you aren't involved with, uh, if you're a traditional guy and you aren't involved with, uh, um, with the push or the pack, uh, and everything that they're, they're putting out, uh, I would highly suggest it. Uh, the guys over at the push with, uh, with Matt and, oh God, Tim, uh, Tim, Tim. yeah, yep. uh, are, uh, they're, they're phenomenal. Everything they, they put are. out is quality. Uh, yep. so I would, uh, I, I couldn't, I couldn't recommend, uh, recommend those guys or, or the pack enough. Um, uh, so you've got your website, uh, yep. uh, the pushes website, yep. uh, and then you do, uh, um, clinics as well. Yes, sir. Yeah, I travel all over the place and do clinics. I have people fly to me at like, you know, Ben Mayer just flew from Australia to <laughs> go through a clinic and, and I have people fly in from all over the place to Washington. And, and, uh, I also wrote a book. So the book is available on Amazon as well. Oh, control oh, process shooting. Okay. Well, that's getting ordered tonight. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so, let's just say that like me and like 10 guys at my local club are like, we want to get Joel out here. That's yep. something that we can do. That's something oh, we absolutely. can yep. Okay. All right. If you get, Oof. you know, you get at least 10 people together, then I'll, I'll fly out to you. Yeah. And, uh, so, and then also on the website is my precision pistol course. So I yeah, just, yeah. You said you, you just came out with this, right? Yeah. I just came out with that. Uh, well, it's been, oh, probably six months or so it's been out. And, I'm very proud of that. It's uh, it's really cool stuff. And yeah. If, I mean, if you want to know how to hit things at 120 yards with your Glock, this is the thing to have. Man, I so, love shooting. I love shooting long distance with pistol. It's a yeah. it's a ball. You you yeah. think you think shooting a uh, 
uh, a bow is fun. You sit putting <laughs> yeah. a 10 inch piece of steel out there at a, yeah. at a hundred yards and, and yeah. hitting it with a nine millimeter. Oh, it's yeah. good stuff. Yeah. So I go through the science of all the precision work and then I go through the science of all the open loop stuff as well. Like how do you present your pistol to a target in high stress events? Yeah. You know, how do you incorporate that into the draw? How do you find your sights on the way out? Uh, you know, the difference between open and closed loop control systems, the decisions it takes on these triggers and uh, how do you zero a pistol and all these things. It's, it's really cool stuff. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I'm uh, because I know your work is based in science uh, and I, I know his is too. I don't know. Have you ever checked out the, uh, the white pages from Sage dynamics on the uh, uh, micro red dot uh, optics? Uh, well, I've shot a lot of red dot optics, but Right. Look at the Sage Dynamics. White so, uh, um, so I, I would be willing to bet the farm that a lot of your guys' stuff overlaps hmm. uh, on um, uh, target acquisition and stuff like sure. that. So, uh, right. if you are, uh, I personally am a proponent uh, of of micro red dots, uh, uh, Trijicon RMRs, Leopold mm-hmm. Delta Point, some stuff like that. Uh, I think it's the the way of the future for the modern uh, self defense pistol. Um, if, if you do Joel Turner's course, I would highly encourage you to look at the Sage Dynamics white papers, uh, and, and try and digest that. It's like 40 pages of nerdness, uh, wow. that, that you can really get down on. And, and, uh, uh, Aaron Cowan is the guy's name and he is phenomenal and he does, yep. he does a lot of like low light classes and stuff too. So if you mm-hmm. are, if you're, uh, I think if you if you mash those two together, you're going to see a lot of overlapping stuff. And if you are interested in micro red dots, uh, that's that's the uh, he is the authority on it right now. So yeah, I've heard uh, that. I've heard that. I've yeah. never uh, I've never met him, but I've heard nothing but good things about it. Yeah. So. Oh, he's a he's a stud. And he's a super nice dude. I've I've talked to him a, a couple times actually about something I'm kind of working on that's under wraps. But uh, oh, cool. anyway, uh, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So that's cool. So and um, I would uh, I would encourage anyone if you are especially if you're going to be a uh, a Western hunter uh, man. If you're going to bring a bring a pistol with you, please, for the love of God, know how to use it and use it well. Yeah, right. uh, there's uh, I, uh, I I I love Adam Greentree. He seems like the nicest dude ever. But uh, the story of him where his like buddy gave him the Glock like before he went on that like yeah. 30 day hunt and he yeah. didn't he had never shot one before. I was like, right. oh, OK, yeah. uh, so um, don't, don't be that guy. And, and he got yeah. lucky. He got lucky yeah. because it, it didn't uh, he like, had the wrong ammo for it or something like he went to shoot it and then it it just clicked and didn't go off so yeah uh um if you are if you're gonna be a person that's serious about your your own uh uh home defense or self-defense and defending you and your loved ones and or and or going out west then this uh, precision pistol course is certainly something i would i would guess you can benefit from no absolutely yeah well uh uh, say I told you hour and a half is like almost yeah. <laughs> almost exactly where we end up at almost every time right. uh, so cool man thank you so much for joining us like for real I uh, I know uh, Blaine is always preaching to us uh, about your stuff and uh, it sounds like you're you got another one so I'm I'm gonna I'm, I'm literally like I'm ordering the book on Amazon right now okay. and uh, <laughs> and then I will uh, I will be uh, running through the shot IQ course here pretty soon. So perfect. Well, uh, just call I've, call me with questions, man. 
yeah, well, I'm going to have them. Don't worry. Yeah, no, sure. uh, uh, so th- thanks for, thanks for joining us, man. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's been a pleasure, pleasure talking with you. And I'm, I'm, uh, I'm sure that your shot process is, uh, your controlled process shooting is going to make a lot more guys more lethal than they were before. Yep. It's life changing, man. I'm down. I'm down. Cool. Well, thanks everyone for listening. And until next time, stay lethal and don't forget the olive oil. <laughs>